1: Braves have given you a
0: championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves and as of not too long ago we were talking about Braves postseason baseball that magical run though came to an end and they came up one win shy of a trip to the World Series losing the NLCS in seven games to the LA Dodgers a lot to talk about from that series a lot to talk about from October and really a lot to talk about when it comes to the entire 2020 season and forecasting ahead to what the offseason is going to look like And, of course, what 2021 is going to look like as the Braves start making some off-season decisions in the not-too-distant future. But we'll get to all of that as we get started on this episode of From the Diamond. Before we get started, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. And please, share the show with a friend if you'd be so kind. You can follow along on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. You can find me at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show on Instagram at From the Diamond. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more, especially when we start getting into hot stove discussions at FromTheDiamond.com. So let's jump into it here. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about from the 2020 Braves, not just in the postseason, the NLCS, of course, that did not go the Braves way. And we've had a few days to i guess come to terms with it a bit if you want to call it that and as baseball always does it moves forward of course the world series is happening this week as well but a lot of different things about this 2020 braves club i want to discuss and to help me do that want to bring in gabe burns of the atlanta journal constitution you can follow his work on twitter at gabe burns ajc gabe was out in texas to follow the braves deep playoff run was there for the national league championship series in which atlanta came up short in seven games against the L.A. Dodgers, so you are well-traveled, Mr. Burns, but thank you for making some time and jumping on the show today.
1: Yeah, Sure thing, Grant. Thanks for having me. It was weird. After uh, spending you know, the last six or so months just pretty much in my apartment and right. visiting the ballpark and just taking walks and everything, I, I spent, I think it was 17, 18 straight days in Texas. So that was definitely different. Unfortunately for the Braves, you know, they couldn't extend that stay uh, another handful of days, but um, we have a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah, we definitely do. And the Braves were in Texas for a couple of weeks. Of course, they beat the Marlins in the division series then went toe-to-toe with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who have been kind of the toast of the National League for the better part of, I don't know, five, six seasons now, at least the last three or four. And they've been spending as a team that wants to win the World Series for quite some time, and they have not been able to get over that hump, but they were able to get past the Braves despite Atlanta's 3-1 lead. And that, I know, has a lot of Braves fans kind of thinking about the what-ifs that will go with this series and that is perfectly understandable and we're going to talk about some of those what-ifs on this show but Gabe as I look back on it maybe the 30,000 foot view if you will reaching the National League Championship Series was a great accomplishment for this year's Braves Club Now that being said there's no glossing over the disappointment that comes from losing to the Dodgers after taking a three games to one lead in that series but I think Both things can and are true in this case because I look at those last three games and I see many missed opportunities by Atlanta. But I also see the incredibly talented Dodgers team that found ways to win with its back against the wall quite literally. It's a bittersweet feeling, though, and I think for most Braves fans following this series, bittersweet would probably be the word that I would put to it. And you wrote an article, I know, for the AJC this week, and I would imagine that you fall somewhere along those lines as well when you look back at the NLCS and the what-ifs that go with it for the Atlanta Braves.
1: Yeah, and I sent out a tweet kind of saying as much after the series ended because there were a lot of strong reactions. Um, Mm -hmm. It's weird to call something a success and failure. Obviously, that doesn't really make any sense, but let's just kind of add some context here. Two decades, you don't win a playoff series. Okay, so you win two this time. Okay, you win the shorter one, which you can say, well, it's not really advancing past the NLDS. Well, then they swept their way past the NLDS. So they did. it. Okay, they won two of them. I think that they were clearly, especially with San Diego's injuries, they were clearly the second best team in the NL. So they faced the Dodgers, who have been the best team in the NL, who have been there a lot more. and just, And we'll get into this more, but just when it came down to it, they were just more experienced. They were cleaner. They, they pressed less in the end. There was just a lot of things that showed up there that you would expect to be the difference between a team that's been there a lot and a team that hasn't. And ultimately that was the difference, but they pushed them to the absolute limit. They had them 10 outs away from elimination. They had them 12 outs away from elimination in two separate games. And they essentially did it with two starters. Yeah. (laughs) You're starting AJ mentor in one of these games I get it. At the end of the day, there's one team that can say it had a successful season and 29 others who failed. Sure. So that that is the bottom line. And when you go up 3-1, you need to close the series. We've seen, you know, we see 3-1 memes all the time <clears throat> ever since <laughs> Golden State blew sure. that. And you had Cleveland and, you know, 3-1 is kind of something that everyone on social media laughs about. It's not easy to close these things out. And it's not easy to close out a team that might very well finally win this thing. And like you said, has been pretty much the best team or two for the last five years. That's not an easy thing to do. So yes, they should have won the series. You go up three, one, you need to win the series. So they, they deserve the criticism for that. I think it's perfectly fair to, you know, to be critical of them. So I'm not saying that, but I am saying that it's not the end. of the, It wasn't just a group, like had the Dodgers wound up being eliminated it would have felt worse for them than it would feel for the Braves. And the Braves are still really building towards those type of expectations. And I think they're there because now you look at it next year, it's one thing to just keep saying World Series or bust. And, like, people just kind of laugh at it. It's like, well, you haven't won a playoff series in 20 years, so you keep saying that. But now they can say it and they can mean it because they were – you know, 12 outs away from being there this year in a year that they had no business doing. When you factor in the rotation and everything, you're going, how on earth was this team going to win the NL? So I know I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but it's not some grand choke job like people made it out to be. It's not this ridiculous collapse. Look, you have to win when you're up 3-1. I get it. At the same time, they wound up losing to a team that just had slightly more experience, slightly more depth, And just played cleaner when it had to once the Dodgers locked in, they got it done and the Braves couldn't. And that's the bottom line. But I think that the tone in this organization with, with what Smith has said, with what Alex has said, Mm -hmm. what people are feeling, it does not feel like any grand failure by any stretch.
0: Yeah and I don't want to walk out the well you've got to be excited about the future of this team in the immediate aftermath of losing a seven game series like that in which you did have a three games to one lead. It's going to be a bitter pill for a while and nobody's going to like you know having to look back on that and see the missed opportunity and feel that very visceral you know reaction that you're going to have when your team is that close to it. You mentioned I mean they were you know, knocking on the door, what ten outs away at one point, what twelve outs away at another point. If you start kind of counting down like that, of course, you know, by the time they got to that position, the Dodgers also were very active in that series. This is not simply the Braves going out there and getting the doors blown off in multiple games. It did happen one night, but the amazing thing to me, the resilient thing to me about this club showed itself the very next day when, of all people, Bryce Wilson, who spent the majority of the season at the alternate side. Got a handful of appearances for the 2020 Braves in the regular season and makes his postseason debut against Clayton Kershaw and wins that baseball game. Of course, the offense played a part in that as well. But by and large, you had some games that the Braves had no business winning in that series. I'd say the Bryce Wilson game is probably one of those. And I think that they surprised the Dodgers right out of the gate a little bit as well. And you know, maybe it took the Dodgers a, a couple of games to kind of recalibrate as well. I'm not going to make any excuses. I think the Braves came out and punched him in the mouth But I also think that the Dodgers did what a great team will do, and that's find ways to win with its back against the wall and facing elimination. And they simply played, as you put it, cleaner and better baseball at the time in which they needed to the most. They did not have a bunch of base running gaffes. They did not have errors. In fact, they had the opposite of that. They had a whole bunch of great defensive plays that factored into some of those baseball games in a huge way. And you brought up a term that I I want us to get into at least momentarily because I think we're on the same page with this, but I'd just be kind of interested to see how you look at it. But fans immediately, they're going to feel very passionate about the loss and feel like, oh, well, you know, the Braves choked, and that's what Atlanta teams do, and that's what they were always going to do. But I feel like that's kind of a disingenuous response in that the Braves were never really favored to run through this postseason and win the National League. In fact, if you look at it experts kind of picked over them. even in the wild card round against Cincinnati there were even some questions in the division series against the Marlins and seemingly no one was picking them to topple the mighty Dodgers in the NLCS and Atlanta just they did some things that were unexpected and the pitching would be high on my list the Braves were vaulted through this October run by and large by some surprisingly good pitching and sometimes your luck runs out sometimes you've have taken it as far as you can take it. in the other club, you've got to give them credit for what they were able to do on the other side. So my rambling question to you is, this to me did not feel like simply a case of, well, an Atlanta team got on a big stage under the bright lights and they choked. I think that that is selling the 2020 Braves woefully short of what they accomplished in somewhat surprising fashion in some cases.
1: Absolutely. And it's part of our kind of social media and meme culture now to yeah. just throw around these same lazy terms with sports. And I don't think when you watch the series unfold, I don't think you could call it I don't, don't think you could call it a choke job. That's did guys underperform? Yes. Mm-hmm. There were instances where guys underperformed. The Dodgers had the same thing. That's sports. Not every single player on your team is gonna be firing on all cylinders. The Dodgers missed their opportunities early, too. I mean, if you think about it, even in game two, if A.J. Pollock comes up with that hit, that game is tied. Yeah. You know, They can easily play that game, too, the same way mm-hmm. the Braves fans are mm-hmm. playing. It's just a lot easier to play it when you lose. When you win, you don't care. That's the bottom line. <laughs> so you just move on. You don't think about it. You don't see any Dodgers fans today going, you know, that series could have been a lot different if Pollock had just come up with that hit in game two. Yeah. But nobody cares. So – It's not fair to call it a choke job. I just think it's inaccurate. The Dodgers were a better team. They're a more talented team. Now, that gap is not large by any stretch. I I think you come away from this knowing one thing, it's that this version of the Braves, and look, we can't really predict what's going to happen next year. I mean, naturally, you would think that this is the worst version of the Braves in the next couple years. Now, that can depend on – Injuries. It can depend on, you know, do they keep Ozuna? Mm -hmm. So you can't really play that game. But you do feel good about a younger team getting better as guys just mature, as it gains more experience. So, But this team, which was far from a complete club, it was close. Like at times it felt like it was close. And when I said they got there with two starters, I shouldn't have said that because they did have a third. It was Bryce Wilson, and he delivered one of the most memorable starts in recent Braves postseason history. So kudos to him. Yeah, you have to close out 3-1. No one's going to argue with you. But this wasn't a 28-3 thing. I mean, this no. wasn't just no. some grand disaster. Mm-hmm. This was a better team. I thought both managers uh, largely did a good – the job that Dave Roberts did in those last few games, the Dodgers just they, – they just had a little bit more. And, yeah. you know, they had Bellinger. But he did not have a great series for a lot of it, and he comes through there. And, you know, Keke Hernandez hits the pinch hit homer. So, in the end, they just had that little bit of edge. I'm not really a big believer in moral victory, so I'm not going to tell anybody to feel good about how the Braves competed. But you can come away from that going, well, this is certainly one of the two best teams in the NL, maybe the top three teams in baseball. And we can debate this all day, and I don't really like doing this, but when I was looking ahead of the Tampa Bay, I came out of Game 7 thinking whoever wins this is probably going to win this thing Mm because I just – and I'm one of the last people to disrespect the Rays. I just felt like both of those teams had a little more offense than what Tampa could hang with. And I felt like the Braves could legitimately win this thing if they could get past game seven. So I know a lot of people felt that way. Again, it's all hypothetical. Who knows? But. Credit to them for getting there. Credit to guys like Pache for showing up mm-hmm. and just looking like a player who's going to be a factor here for a long time. I'm not going to overreact to one Bryce Wilson outing, but is that the type of performance that really you know pushes him through the off season? Yeah. Do we see him put something together? I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want to overreact to anything because we saw what Fulty did in Game 2 last year, and then he comes back, and there you have it. Mm-hmm. But, again, there was a lot to be encouraged by the tone in the organization is not one that sounds like they're just miserable and let this get away, but let it get away. You can criticize them for that. You can rehash moments of not scoring with guys on the countless base running errors, errors that we might get into this too. I don't want, we're not going to rehash the whole thing, but yeah. errors that this team normally didn't make. It's pretty Correct. smart. And it was just, I think the inexperience, you know, pressing a little bit stuff like that does show up in those kind of moments. And it didn't show up for the Dodgers, and it showed up for the Braves. So, in the end, did the right team win? I would say yes, but, I mean, man, it was a heck of a series. There was a lot – It was. I know it was stressful for Braves fans, but – I'm going to try to stop the future stuff, too, because I tweeted something about having a bright future, and some people got mad, and I can understand that. But at the end of the day, only one team is going to win this whole thing. Only two teams are going to go to the World Series, and the Braves are in a lot better position than the vast majority of baseball.
0: I think it's fair to say that this series, the NLCS, could have gone either way. The Braves could have won that series. The Dodgers certainly proved that they could come back from a deficit and win that series as well and I think that just on its face is amazing to say when you do consider that the Braves had two starting pitchers that you could honestly say you had any amount of confidence in and all the credit in the world to Bryce Wilson for showing up and showing out when his team needed him the absolute most and he was able to do that and I think that there's you know something to take out of that that gets you excited about seeing maybe where he slots in in the future and how he's able to build off of that big moment and keep in mind the kid's 22 and we'll talk a little bit more about you know the future and and next year and all that stuff as we go down but I did want to go back and circle in on the thing that for me as I watched this series and this is all seven games but particularly on display in the last three the biggest difference between these two teams to me especially over the final three games as the Braves were looking to put the Dodgers away was the kind of at-bats that Dodgers hitters were consistently putting on Braves pitching not just getting a hit or drawing a walk but They battled and they were grinding out plate appearance after plate appearance after plate appearance, appearance, and it felt like that L.A. was going to set some kind of record for most foul balls in a series. It was incredible to watch, really, when you start to break down just how hard they made Braves pitchers work, and that approach, to me, was one of the major areas of difference between these two clubs. You were watching it as closely or closer than I was. Did you see that same thing? Because it jumped off the page to me.
1: It absolutely did, and when you're looking at a series where these two teams are this close, just these small things, you know, are really the difference. And I'm not saying that's a small thing, but in fact, that was probably the most And, you know, you can say, is that because a lot of these hitters are just more experienced, they're more comfortable. Some of these guys are just – they don't strike out like the Braves do. I mean, that was – going into this series, one of the biggest differences was the Dodgers struck out both fourth least out of mm-hmm. all teams, and the Braves were third at most in strikeouts, and that's a huge difference, and you could see it just in how the Dodgers handled their bats, I guess how the Braves would handle some of theirs. The Dodgers, to me, and even being there, it just seemed like a very loose team, mm-hmm. like as soon as they really locked in, you could just kind of feel it, and you could see it, you could see it in their bats, you could see it in their, like the Mookie reaction on that catch, where he just unleashed, you yeah, know? Yeah. You could just see it, and it just looked. The Braves kind of almost felt like a team that was really just. And I'm not knocking their mentality because I think they had a generally good mentality this whole time, but it felt like a little bit more of a tense team, a team that was, you know, just a little just. Uh, I don't even know what term I'm looking Maybe for. Maybe they, but...
0: they just played a little bit tighter, and it was more of in a subconscious way i mean it's not like you make the decision to go out there and be more rigid or more nervous or more this out of the other it's you get in that moment and the game affects you in different ways and it may not be easy to read in body language either i know we have a lot of body language experts on twitter as well but regardless you know these two teams were in very different places from an experience standpoint it just to me it just the differences between them in particular in ways that i could quantify was just an approach and I think that kind of speaks to what you're talking about is you could see that the Dodgers not that the Braves were but they weren't going to give up at bats they weren't going to give up innings they weren't going to give up plays they weren't going to concede runs and those are the little things that I I did local television in Atlanta for 11 alive and I was asked what my prediction for the series was so I said Braves in seven just like I did on the podcast last week I was right about the seven games thing, wrong about the team but I did say the club That plays the cleanest baseball and makes the fewest mistakes is the club that's going to win this series. And I do feel like that statement more than held its own through the seven game series.
1: No doubt. They were cleaner and they were just, they were more refined. It just looked like a team that they had, look, they had more talent, they had more pitching, they had more rotation depth, but it just seemed like a team that was just more comfortable. And when they went down 3 1, they didn't press. They've yeah. been here they've done this a, they've done this a lot okay they've yeah. uh, they've done this more than anybody has going on right now so they were very calm even after losing I mean you go down 02 and you come out and you know you crush like they did in that mm-hmm. game three but then the next day that team punches you back Yeah. there were a lot of teams most teams probably lose that in five. Yeah. I mean let's be like honestly just the way that we kind of see history unfold with these series for the Braves to come back and punch them like they did. But then for the Dodgers to wind up winning three in a row and the Braves had only had one, it was a four game losing streak this whole season and for the Dodgers to come back and do what they did. And it really was the difference of just a great approach a refined approach, just, just clean play, some stars making star plays, right? Bellinger Mm -hmm. hits the winning homer. Mookie has two nice catches Uh, several nice defensive plays out there. You need your best players to perform, and theirs did. And, you know, there's a reason that most people were picking them at the beginning of the year anyway. So the Braves will – again, no one wants to hear about the future. I think they're going to be fine. I think you think that they're going to be fine. But this was – this was certainly – you could see the differences between a team that has been there and a team that was still trying to find its way.
0: I agree and, and we can lay out some of the future stuff and we're going to talk about it because the future for the Atlanta Braves begins as soon as they're eliminated they have to start thinking about the winter they have to start thinking about next spring and they're going to have to turn the page rather quickly to next year lest they dwell on this and it becomes a stumbling block for the club moving forward which of course I don't think that it's going to in the larger picture and looking back on this series I know it's a big disappointment for Braves fans and I mentioned earlier there's a lot of what-ifs that go into this season One of the big what-ifs for me is if you had Mike Soroka, how much different would this be for the Braves? They didn't have him for the majority of the season. They lost him in, what, the second week of the year in his third start. You just did not have that gun to rely on, and the starting rotation clearly had to search for answers throughout the season, and, you know, you gave Ian Anderson an opportunity. You gave Kyle Wright. Even Bryce Wilson ended up getting one, and I don't think that that was part of the plan when the playoffs started, but you kind of had to come up with a plan i won't say on the fly but you didn't have a lot of time to put it together because one of the other what ifs that you think about in the playoff format for this year was there were no off days so the braves did not have the opportunity to reset their rotation neither did the dodgers everybody's working against it but in a normal year you would have felt a little bit different if there were those off days and you weren't worried about pushing max freed on three days rest or throwing them on normal rest and then what that would have meant for you know just how you might have played out that series now would it change the outcome of it i don't know that's not really fair to say and there's really no way that we'll ever know that the circumstances are what they are and you have to adapt to those and you have to overcome them in the case of any club that went to the playoffs this year and the dodgers simply did i think a better job of overcoming the challenges thrown at them and like you said their mentality they were truly taking it game to game. They did not worry about winning game seven until they got to game seven. And I think that's the difference in the approach of a club like the Dodgers and probably 28, 29 other teams in Major League Baseball. There's not too many teams that can do that. You don't see clubs coming back from 3-1 routinely year over year over year. That's part of the disappointment for the Braves, but a very worthy foe, and that's as far as I'm going to go putting the Dodgers over. I mean, they'll figure it out in the World Series or Tampa Bay might figure it out in the World Series. But to beat the LA Dodgers in a playoff series, I think means an awful lot, and the Braves came very close to doing so, and they'll hopefully use that as motivation moving forward. Uh, Gabe, I did something on Twitter that I was kind of hesitant to do, but I felt like let me just go ahead and put it out there and maybe this will help folks to have a therapeutic discussion about where this series and the disappointment of losing this NLCS falls in the pantheon of Braves' losses in October because there have been quite a few of those. And I called this my Braves Misery Index. And I did it because I've experienced, I think, as a fan and as working in baseball, just about every kind of October disappointment possible in the past three decades. Now, Gabe, you let everyone know how old you are in the most recent episode of From the Diamond at 26 years old. Now, I'm not going to out myself on here, but I have been around the sun a few more times. And to me, this loss and this disappointment barely cracked my top 10 when i went back and looked at braves october losses so i want to get your opinion on some of these and maybe where you think this nlcs exit ranks among those seasons if nothing else what do you say
1: yeah sounds good
0: all right so my braves misery index i tweeted this out the morning after they lost that game seven i said yours may differ but this is mine and it all starts with the 1996 world series for fans who may be younger or unfortunately fans who may have lived through it and forgotten they go up 2-0 against the Yankees in their first October encounter end up losing that series in 6 games then the 1991 World Series for me which it just was the fairy tale ending for the worst of first team and they were not able to get it Minnesota Twins win in that one then the 1992 World Series in which hey well they lost the World Series the year before hopefully they can beat the Blue Jays they get back there Sid Bream's slide was what got him there. You just felt like you were riding that high and then they lost the nineteen ninety two World Series. So that's a top three for me. Three of their five trips to the World Series, and of course another one will come up on this list, I think that's pretty much where you gotta start, isn't it? A World Series disappointment?
1: No doubt. I mean, obviously I was I was too young to remember that. <laughs> I didn't see it. But having been a you know, from Georgia and being a Georgia resident my whole life and, you know, growing up a you know, a huge Braves fan and Obviously, that's one of the ones you always hear about, right? Uh, With this team, you know, fortunately, unlike most teams, there was a lot, especially being born in the early 90s, there was a lot you could hear about of, well, when they, you know, they won the division this year, they won the division that year, they they won the series this year. And then, of course, you always heard about 95 because it was the one year that they finally finished it. Mm -hmm. And then you would also hear about, well, 96, you know, some people would say the 96 team was better. I obviously can't say, I have no clue because I didn't watch it. but <laughs> So I'm not going to opine on the mid-90s Braves when sure. I was three. But, sure. so yeah, that's the one you always hear about, that they let slip away and that, you know, obviously they didn't you know they could have been repeat champs and instead they wound up not winning another one so yeah i mean especially when you consider how the 2000s have gone uh certainly that one is is definitely number one
0: i think it has to be i know a lot of people kind of said well no 91 was more important because if they'd won it would have been the true worst to first but i still look back on 1991 as my favorite braves baseball season ever i I mean in 95 obviously it speaks for itself i mean seeing them win the World Series meant an awful lot and should mean the most. But for whatever reason, there's a little bit more magic that was sprinkled on that 91 season because they came from literally nowhere, last place, in the cellar, perennial losers, and get all the way to Game 7 of the World Series and nearly win the darn thing. I mean, it was moment after moment after moment, just being a winning team again for the first time uh, in a long time, nearly a decade, really, and overcoming what they did and doing it so quickly Was an exciting time for braves fans and i think that carried over into 92 as well and so i got 96 world series 91 world series 92 world series then i've got a couple of nlcs's that were worse far worse in my opinion than the 2021 1993 nlcs of course the braves had gotten fred mcgriff at the trade deadline they went 54 and 17 down the stretch when they got him to win the division over another 100 win team of the giants and they got to sit at home and watch but the braves ran out of gas against the philadelphia phillies club that eventually lost on joe carter's home run in 93 but i felt like the braves were the better team but i talked to a, a friend of mine that works at the braves radio network and mark lemke who said look maybe we were out of gas because it was so hard to catch and pass the giants and win the division that by the time we got to the nlcs there just wasn't a lot left there but uh, that one to me was number four number five is the 97 nlcs that would be against the marlins That would be the famous Levon Hernandez or Eric Gregg game, if you prefer. That was all mixed into that. I felt like the Braves were really on their way to another World Series appearance there, you know, redeeming themselves from the 96 World Series. And it all got stopped by the Marlins, who ended up winning the whole thing. Then I've got the 99 World Series. For me, anytime you go to the World Series and lose, it's a big deal. And they did get swept by the Yankees that year. But I don't think we knew at that time that that was really the end of an era, both for the 90s Braves because it closed out that decade but also the last trip the Braves have made to the World Series so that's got to be pretty high up there 2005 NLDS in Houston losing in I believe game four and 18 innings not a fun way to go 2019 NLDS which you and I both lived that nightmare last year in game five as they were beaten by the Cardinals soundly and sent home and it really ended what was I think a, a season with unfinished business for the Braves that we saw come into this year then I got the 2012 wildcard game. That was the infield fly game. And then I have the 2020 NLCS. That rounds out my top 10 on my Braves misery index. I know you both lived and covered some of the more recent ones on that. Uh, how do you feel like that list rounded out, if you can, you know, rank a proper misery index, as it were, of Braves losses?
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds about right. You know, as a fan, the wild card game was really bad, duh. Yeah. I mean, all of our fans hated that. You know, Kimbrel standing in the bullpen was bad. That was the next year. Yeah, there have been some bad ones since 01, which, by the way, I had the – speaking of 01, I had the pleasure of talking some during the break with Leo Mm Mazzoni, and I actually asked him who was the best NL team that the Braves played during their run, and he actually said it was the 01 Diamondbacks. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to throw that in there. He Mm -hmm. he thought that team was the best team they faced. But uh, the last time that they had won a playoff series before this year – as far as what I've seen, I mean, I thought that losing game four last year, that one was bad. Yeah. And, you know, game five, I mean, it was the first inning, we get it. That was a disaster. But that series, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you even heard, like, Snip and Freddie both say, and they didn't sink this – like, they both said it separately, that they felt much worse last year than they did this year. Mm-hmm. And Alex said it yesterday, too, that they just, you know, with all due respect to the Cardinals, he said that was just a series that they should have won. And he's right. They were more talented. They should have gotten over that hump last year. And what happens with Washington, who knows. But for them to have gotten over that hump last year and move into this year with maybe a little different perspective, I don't know how all that plays out. But I definitely think that the sequence of the end of game four to – the beginning of that last game with the Cardinals last year uh that was (laughs) that was brutal
0: yeah it was deflating at the very least and it ended up being just a as bad a game five as you can possibly have in a division series and one of the worst losses in a single game for the Braves just purely for the way that it occurred in such a lopsided fashion but overall when I looked at these and of course I'm ranking them by series so some of these series hold some more heartbreak than others But in particular, that 2019 NLDS, there was no way that was getting out of the top 10. But then again, I didn't have any NLDS that was able to creep over the top six. A couple of dishonorable mentions, and the one that got bumped out of the 10 spot in my Braves Misery Index was the 1998 NLCS against the Padres. That felt like a huge missed opportunity for those Braves teams. I think the 98 team was better than the 99 team that did go to the World Series, beat the Mets. And. Uh, then lost to the Yankees in just four games and then you mentioned it 2013 NLDS against the Dodgers that was the the famous Craig Kimbrell in the bullpen uh, basically to end that series and then 2011 a lot of fans brought this up Braves didn't make the playoffs in 2011 so you might be wondering why that would be on the list well it was a historic collapse by the Braves in September to lose the division and to be knocked out of October that was a pretty tough pill to swallow for folks as well so I know as a fan, you lived that one a little bit, and there's really no two ways about it. Not making the playoffs is pretty disappointing, but when I thought about my misery index, I really wasn't thinking about regular season defeats, even if there were a whole bunch of them that just kept you out of October.
1: Yeah, that's actually a good point. I didn't didn't even think about that. I would rank that pretty highly. Um, Yeah, a lot of folks do. That one was definitely bad. That was, man, yeah. I'd have to go back and rethink (laughs) it now, now that that I think about the regular season. But yeah, that one... Definitely, if you're talking about misery, that that one is definitely up there.
0: Yeah, not a good feeling. That was the first year after Bobby Cox had retired. I know 2010, folks brought that one up, losing the NLDS to the Giants, and in, in Bobby's last hurrah was difficult for folks. And then you follow that right up with, with not even getting into the playoffs the next year because you blow a huge lead in the division. Would have been, I think, a historic division lead that evaporated were it not for the Red Sox simultaneously the same year blowing the AL East by losing it in even grander fashion than the braves did so be that as it may my braves misery index as i said yours may vary but for me you know as disappointing as the 2020 team was i don't leave this and i'm glad you brought up the way that other members of the team looked at it but i don't leave this series feeling completely defeated and deflated by everything that just didn't happen for the braves this year it doesn't take away the sting of losing And it doesn't automatically make it okay or guarantee that they're going to win in the future. But when put against some of the other defeats and the ways that have happened and has happened even recently as a year ago, it does seem like the Braves took a step forward this year. And I think that you have to, in all seriousness, you know, hyperbole aside, you have to look at this year as some progress for the Atlanta Braves. If for nothing else, then they figured out how to win in October again. And I think that's pretty huge. Uh, Gabe, a couple of good housekeeping items from this series before we talk a little bit about what's ahead for Atlanta. A couple of players in particular. Freddie Freeman had the kind of postseason I think many people were questioning if he was even able to have, particularly showing up in the NLCS in a big way. Um, He was really, I think, ridden pretty hard last year. He was hurt. A lot of folks were just disappointed for a variety of reasons in last year's series, and Freddie Freeman seemed to be right in the middle of all of that when the ink dries on 2020, I think Freddie Freeman's going to have a pretty incredible year to look back on both on and off the field with everything he was able to accomplish.
1: Yeah. What a storybook year for him. I mean, look, in the end, they didn't win it. He'll be the first to tell you that that's mm-hmm. what he judged the success of this year on, but individually um, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of awards coming his way, yeah, I think so, including probably the most prestigious individual awards. So yeah, for him to have that, I thought it was really big for him to have that hit in game one against the Reds. I hope that that's something that isn't kind of forgotten this postseason. I don't think it will be, but I mean, that was really, was that the best postseason moment of his career,
0: probably? I would say so. I mean, a, a yeah. close second would be, you know, leading off with that home run in his first NLCS at bat as well. But in terms of just giving his team a win with one swing of the bat, it's hard to top that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was definitely one of those two moments. For him, yeah, I mean, great year for him. I think people should view him differently. And I don't – you know, last year he got hammered. We knew he was hurt. He was playing hurt. Should he have played hurt? You can debate that. But I'm not – as far as factoring, in is he a guy who could perform in the postseason, which we love to do with these guys? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not really – I'm not going to hold last year against him. And you could argue you could because he was still playing. I understand that. But I don't really think that that's totally – It's just not the full part of the story. So, yeah, huge year for him. And I know he's disappointed at the outcome and that they should have gotten it done. And, you know, just one one last thing really about the the series in general, not necessarily just Freddie, but this is the type of series that, and you kind of said this as you were wrapping it up, this is the kind of series that you can look back on as, that's kind of the year that we got over the hump and really started building towards, you know, if they come and win the championship next year, yeah, they're probably going to reference the pain they felt last week,
0: right? No doubt.
1: Yeah, or even the year after. If they come next year and the Dodgers beat them again, then they could say, you know, two years. Or it's the type of thing that if this team doesn't get back to a Game 7 to go to the World Series in the next five years, this one's going to age poorly in time you know what i mean it can go either way definitely so right now we're kind of talking about it like no one's that upset but when you in five years if they haven't made the world series they might look back at this as more painful than than necessarily how people are doing it now that's a little off subject from freddie but i did want to squeeze that in there but just from freddie's standpoint huge year a lot to look forward to and i think if the braves are smart they're going to go ahead and lock him down this winter and it'll cap what's what it's been a year that, you know, it's been tough for everybody, but from Freddie, from a performance standpoint, since he overcame COVID, it's uh, mm-hmm. definitely gone up for him.
0: Yeah, I was definitely going to throw that in there. I mean, overcoming his bout with COVID. And just for Freddie, as you mentioned, the MVP caliber year he put up, for my money, he's the MVP of the National League, and hopefully he gets the award that verifies that right after the World Series. But I know Freddie would like to still be playing. I think he had a pretty good shot of being NLCS MVP, perhaps as well had the Braves been able to prevail over the Dodgers but regardless I think that not only is this a a year in which the Braves kind of got over the hump a little bit in October but also for Freddie it had to feel good to be a vital part of winning baseball games in October because it has not come easy in the first decade of his career now another gentleman who is just starting a run through his career is Ronald Acuna Jr. who was rather quiet this postseason especially the final games of the Marlins series and then of course the NLCS Just not the usual Ronald Acuna that we've become accustomed to starting off the game with a bang, coming up with big hits, hitting tape measure home runs. It really wasn't there. And I think that the wrist was a constant source of pain for him, but he played through that pain. And for me, and this goes back to Freddie as well, I like that kind of mindset for players because you're never 100% throughout the entirety of a Major League Baseball season, especially as you get to the end, you're going to have aches and pains. Now, Freddy's required some off-season surgery and was a lot worse than maybe even he let on, but regardless, Ronald was out there. He wanted to be out there, and he did some things here and there that just reminded you of what a special player he is, even if it was just drawing a walk, stealing a base, scoring a run, going first to third, going first to home, whatever it may be. Still, some of those things were, I think, shown by Ronald in the NLCS, but we heard from Alex Anthopoulos this week, and no excuses from Acuna, no excuses for Acuna, but I think getting some rest will literally be what the doctor ordered for Ronald Acuna Jr., and unfortunately it's just starting a week before he wanted it.
1: Yeah, he he was clearly not 100%. And, you know, how much that – I mean, again, few people are. You said that really well. Yeah. But the wrist has really interrupted him for the majority of this season. It's going to be good for him to just get off it for a while, just be able to rest and come to spring training – You know, hopefully 100% he can get started on. Because remember, he was kind of a hot pick for MVP before the season for a lot of people. Yeah. That will probably wind up being Freddie. But next season, a healthy Acuna now, uh, ready to roll. I mean, he's going to be a popular MVP pick again. Him and Tatis, I would imagine, and Soto are going to be like the three sexiest NL MVP picks. So, I mean, duh, but I expect a huge year from him next year. This year, it's just the, the risks really seem to just interrupt him, and he, he could never really fully hit his stride like we saw it in spurts. And then you had the Marlins. You know, he has the shirts now and the tweet and everything. I mean, and that was great. That was great for him from a marketing perspective, not just from a storyline and narrative perspective. So he'll be fine, but, yeah, I mean, no no doubt. I mean, he, he, he played hard, played his butt off in that series, but it, it was pretty evident that he was not – Quite a hundred
0: percent. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and with that said, I mean, again, it's not to make excuses for him. I just think you could watch. I mean, clearly, and when he took that tumble over first base, I was hoping, man, don't let this be the thing that takes Ronald out of the lineup because without him, even if he's the figurehead of the lineup, if you want to call it that, because he's not able to do all the things he could do, losing Ronald Acuna Junior, especially after Duvall was already out and Pache was already starting, that would have been pretty tough for the Braves to overcome as well. But Uh, Regardless, with Ronald, without Ronald, you know, the Dodgers won this series, and credit goes to them for finding ways to do it down 3 1. Braves, again, will be disappointed by this, rightfully so. Fans will be disappointed by this, rightfully so. But I do think there are some things that you can take from this season and and give it some time if you need to do that. I certainly understand it. Grief works different for us all, and there are a lot of stages of it. Uh, But as you look back on 2020, the Braves did accomplish some things, and I think that's at least worth recognizing. Not saying we need to throw them a parade through the Battery or down Peachtree or anywhere else. But all things considered, 2020 was quite an interesting year for the Atlanta Braves. And now we have a lot of things to talk about when it comes to getting the 2021 Braves ready. And I put the call out on Twitter to get some questions so that we could interact a little bit, Gabe. And I want to not necessarily go rapid fire, but try to get through a few of these. So if you're up for it, then uh, we'll get started here on some listener questions here on From the Diamond. Yep, let's do it. All right, well, let's get started with Nick Conrad, who leads off with, I think, a great question. What is the biggest offseason priority for the Braves? Gabe, I'll let you go first.
1: You can look at this a couple different ways. I mean, you could certainly say that extending Freddie should be number one, but that doesn't really impact the immediate team. So long-term, I would definitely say that, you know, making sure that Freddie's taken care of is important. Obviously, the number one move otherwise is Ozuna. And, and Grant, if you see – if you yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, this guy has been absolutely – what a year for him. Uh, I didn't see it coming. I can't imagine many people saw it coming. There was a stroke of luck involved, no doubt, because when this team didn't keep Josh Donaldson or opted against matching the Twins' offer, Ozuna happened to still be out there, and no team was willing to give him what he was looking for, and he had to settle for an offer, and he wound up saying in spring training – if he knew that's how it was going to unfold, he would have just accepted the Cardinals qualifying yep. offer. And that's exactly what he said. So, you know, if he had the benefit of hindsight, he would have just stayed in St. Louis. And for him to come through and have the year that he wound up having, I never would have imagined they would have upgraded what Donaldson did the year before. Right. I know John Heyman, who people are consider hit or miss, he <laughs> tweeted out that this was like the best one-year deal ever. I don't know that I'm going to do that, but... If I looked at one-year deals in Braves' history, it would be very hard to find a better deal or two than what Ozuna has done. So all the credit to him, and I'm going to pass the baton to you here, but I would definitely say that him or if they wind up losing him, finding that replacement should be the team's number one priority.
0: Yeah, I I can't disagree with Ozuna. I am interested to see what the timeline is on the Freddie extension. I'm glad you brought that up because if you weren't thinking about it, before the season and certainly if the guy wins the NL MVP you better be thinking about it now and I don't know that that necessarily was going to move the needle on Freddie's asking price and what it was going to take to lock him down long term but that's got to be something and I'm sure it is something that there has been at least some discussion of internally or perhaps between the two sides at some point in the last year maybe two of Freddie Freeman's career as he moved toward the end of this contract and 2021 is the final year of his eight-year contract that he signed way back in 2014 so ozuna to me is the number one player on my board to figure out and some of that's going to have to do with the designated hitter i think folks have asked about this some of the questions were kind of tailored that way you got to bring back ozuna right but only if he can dh because i'm not sure i want to put him in the field um i'm not sure i want to put him in the field either i'm not saying that i don't think the dh is going away though either so they're going to have to get some clarity on that i know alex Anthopoulos addressed that in his post uh season media conference after the NLCS just that they got to figure out you know where the DH is and then also they're going to have to figure out quite candidly where the revenue for the club is and I think there's no two ways about it big elephant in the room all the clubs are going to have to figure out how much they're going to be able to spend based on their revenues from 2020 which are down significantly because of the pandemic the lack of fans and a number of other variety of things that have come out of what the pandemic did to the major league baseball and also the economy in the country in general so that aside the farthest from rapid fires i can get how about re-signing marcelo zuna if they keep the dh i think that'll be great but i also feel like they got some pitching questions to answer as well meanwhile our old friend michael kelly had quite a few questions we appreciate him listening to the show as always and uh, let's tackle a couple of these here has christian pace solidified his spot in center field next year Well,
1: first of all, Michael, uh, thanks for listening. I'm a huge fan of yours. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I I think you've seen enough. It's crazy. Like, we only saw, what, four plate appearances from him in the regular season? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Thereabouts. So you have that. And then, look, a guy put into his position who performed like he did in the playoffs from even scoring the winning run in that first Reds game, because he was the pinch runner, into what he did in the spotlight against the Dodgers. I, I mean, I'm sold. I I think that as far as small sample sizes go, you can't do much more than he did. He's got an absolute cannon, just a brilliant defensive player. He's a joy to watch. A lot of people don't want him to bring Marquez back. I I can't imagine they will, but, you know, there's going to be an outfield spot open. We'll see what happens with Ender, but clearly he's not a guy that they're prioritizing in any way, Mm -hmm. nor should they. So the playing time is here for him. He's looked ready for it. He's somebody who we've seen him grant at spring training has continued to grow physically. Yep. He's still really young. The talent just pops. Like with some of these guys, I think, cause you and I would go to Gwinnett and we saw Acuna play a few times when he was in the minors and we'd sit there together and talk about it and stuff. And sometimes with these just uber talented guys, the talent just pops and I'm not comparing Pache's talent to Acuna but especially defensively, it's obvious that there's just so much there. And Duh, he's the number one defender in the minors anyway, so it's not—it's not like I have a scout's eye here. But it, he just—he looks ready. The offense is going to continue to develop. Again, small sample size, but I don't think it's like bad. Right. Which is—it's certainly not to the point that you're concerned about it. It's just going to continue to grow. You know, I hate doing these like really high comparisons. Um, And I also hate the easy comparisons, Mm -hmm. but the Andrew Jones thing, how can you not see it? You know what I mean? No doubt. It's evident. It's there. It's his friend. It's his mentor. Mm -hmm. Manning center field for the Braves. It's just, it's a natural comp. It just feels right. It looks right. And I mean, how, I mean, good for the Braves that they're in the position that they have a guy like that who's, You know, obviously to have Acuna and Ozzy, this team's already loaded with young talent, but to have a guy like that to plug in the center field for potentially a decade plus really just an embarrassment of riches for this team.
0: Most certainly is. Uh, And I would co-sign on that. I think he's your opening day center fielder. Christian Pache should be out there. I think if there were any questions or reservations at this point, he's already had his, I don't want to say coming out party, but he certainly had, Uh, His open tryout if you want to call it that in the national league championship series you put him in there in the biggest games that the franchise has played in two decades he's ready to play on opening day next year and when it comes to center field and i tweeted this a week or so ago when he made one of those just great christian pache style catches that he gives you the same sense of confidence that andrew jones did because i can judge a fly ball to center based on pache's route and his body language as he's arriving you know back to the warning track of the wall And that was something that I only feel like I've been able to do that same way with Andrew Jones. So I know if I either need to be immediately disappointed or if I can just start thinking about what snack I want to get between innings, because that's the kind of confidence that I have in the way he ranges around center field. And that's a great thing to see. And I think he's going to hit more as he gets more opportunity and continues to develop as a young hitter as well. I'm not thinking he's going to have the offensive profile of an Andrew Jones, but he's going to hit more than enough, I think, to stay in center field for the Braves for quite some time. Another question from Michael Kelly was, will Austin Riley stay at third base? I know we saw him in the outfield a little bit. I know the Braves could reassess what they want to do with the hot corner going into free agency or exploring trades or otherwise. I think Austin Riley is going to be there opening day at third base for the Braves. How about you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a matter of they're going to open up with him. Mm -hmm. They're going to give him this full season. Because, again, we're talking about 60-game season sample size here and then plus the playoffs. They're going to go ahead and open it up with him if – Things go slowly. If if it doesn't click for him over the next normal season, then I think that we can kind of maybe talk about given yeah. where this team is trying to win a title. We'll talk about it. But for right now, I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be the guy. Uh, he's made strides. I still think I know that the final numbers, you know, aren't that great. But let's just put it this way: next year is going to be a really big year for him. It's a big year for the Braves figuring out you know, what they're going to do long-term at third base. And if he has a good year, then he'll cement his job there, and that'll be that. This team is pretty patient with these guys.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's a lot to be patient about because folks forget how young Austin Riley is as well. And I know it has not been as consistent as people would like to see, but I felt like the quality of his at-bats on the whole, the work that he was doing at third base, made me feel like he was making the necessary strides. And I know he's putting in the work because I've known the kid since he was 17, 18 years old when I was watching him down in low a ball all the way up to Gwinnett this kid has put in the work every single winter and every single season to become a better defensive third baseman and to figure out the things he needed to do to adjust at the plate but it is hard to become a consistent major league hitter and I think that he's trending in the right direction I'll say that so I think Austin Riley's there on opening day at third base for the Braves in 2021 Uh, last one from Michael then we'll kind of transition into some of these other ones and I think this is a very good question and one that I think the answer should be yes to this question. Spoiler alert. Will Mark Melanson return to the Braves? He is a free agent this winter as well. Gabe, I think he comes back. Where do you fall on the Braves' closer, Mark Melanson, returning to Atlanta in 2021
1: and beyond? So is going to be the number one storyline. That's going to be what's going to get all the focus. But this team's bullpen is, is going to be interesting to watch too. And they have a lot of guys in-house. But you've got Shane Green, Mark Melanson, and Darren O'Day are free agents. Josh Tomlin is too. We know O'Day and Tomlin are not going to break the bank if they want either of those guys back. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I'm with you. I think that they will keep Melanson, and I think Green leaves. If I had to bet money on it, I I, I, I can't imagine they're going to keep both of them just given where this team is financially. We don't have any idea. The stuff that we've been over a trillion times. But Mm – If I had to pick one to say, I think this team values Melanson. I think they value his consistency, his steadiness, his leadership. Short answer, yes, I think he comes back. Uh, Long answer, we could see a few guys changed out in this bullpen. And if they wind up losing Green and Melanson, they have the bullpen depth that it isn't that worrisome, but I would definitely think they would need to acquire another guy of that ilk just because you can never have enough. But Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I ultimately I, I think that they find a way to get Melanson back. It just seems like a good fit for both
0: sides. Depth of the bullpen was a big strength for the Braves beginning at that trade deadline last year and you know, they did bring back Chris Martin on a multi year deal. We did not see the best of Will Smith. I think that goes without saying this year. It's a shame that, you know, some of his worst outings came against the LA Dodgers as well in the NLCS because it appeared, at least in the first couple of rounds of the playoffs, particularly against Miami, that Will Smith had really found his Really great slider, and the velocity had ticked up a couple of miles an hour, maybe just some adrenaline from the postseason or what have you. But I think it's it's pretty obvious that Will Smith was signed to pitch big innings late in games for the Braves, and having Mark Melanson there as a 1A, 1B scenario, however you want to rank the two of them, was a great thing for the Atlanta Braves. It just We didn't get to see it come together in a short season the way that, ideally, it would have if we had not dealt with all of the things that were thrown at us in 2020, be that as it may, Marcelo Zuna, as long as we're talking about him, Michael asked about him. Also, Aiden was asking, if the Braves are to re-sign Marcelo Zuna, what do you think the contract details would look like? And then I'll kind of throw in my question is, how much do you think the DH truly factors into whether you bring back Marcelo Zuna? Is that the thing that you have to have if you're going to re-sign this guy, the ability to DH him?
1: I'm glad that somebody asked this uh, because I was going to take this to you at some point in the show. It is really hard for me. As far as the numbers question, it's really hard for me to just peg a number yeah. uh, because yeah. this is not a, a standard free agent market. Uh, this is not a standard year by any stretch. So we don't know you know, what are guy's going to be looking at. I think without having the list of position players in front of me, I would think Ozuna is one of the two most valuable offensive free agents on the market. I can't. He's probably number one. Got to um, be up there. Yeah, you can correct me for somebody else. I don't have the list in front of me. It's not a particularly great free agent class. I do know that. But he's going to have a ton of interest. And as for how much the DH factors in, it's just one of several factors. I don't think it's necessarily as big as we make it because this team – okay, look, obviously his defense is not good. But Mm -hmm. this team did sign him initially, understanding they'd have to play him in left field. And if they looked at, because we all know that the DH is coming in 2022. So if they looked at this situation and said, we might have to deal with him there for a year, I don't know that that would be a total backbreaker, but at the same time, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but looking at his numbers, I think his numbers were significantly better as a DH than playing left field. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed to have benefited him greatly to have just focused on offense and not have to worry about defense, which we all know he's not good at anyway. So, Maybe it turns into a bigger factor because you do have Adam Duvall, you have Pache, uh, Drew Waters is going to be factoring in at some point, you know, how much you can bank on him producing. I don't know, but we've seen how big of a difference these uh, rookies can make for this team. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. I'm about to pass it to you to kind of just say what you need to on the subject. But I will also add that if you're looking at extending Freddie, yeah, Even if Freddie is at $25 million a year, roughly, which I think, how much does he make now? I'm, I don't have that number in front of me. but Yeah, so 23. So, I mean, you can't count on him taking a hometown discount. No. I know everyone kind of does that, but I feel like 25 would be a hometown discount, considering the type of player he is right now. So does Ozuna's market reach a point that the red Sox, the nationals just one of these teams that needs a guy like that Mm -hmm. does it reach a point that his market goes up at 25 or above and if you're the braves can you look at this long term and say we can commit over 50 million a year to freddie and ozuna you have Ocuna and ozzy on below market deals so that helps but when you're looking at filling out an overall roster, you don't have the Dodgers payroll. No, So just paying Mookie all that money is not so easy for you. So Mm -hmm. I'll kind of get your thoughts on the subject, but I think that the biggest thing when I'm looking at this is how high does his market get? How many years are they looking at this? This is all more important than the DH to me, although that is, it's very much a factor but how many years are you looking at? What's the average annual value? And when you're also factoring extending Freddie, maybe signing some of these younger guys as well. Uh, I don't even want to get into Darno because we don't know what kind of year he's going to have next year, but he's also going to be a free agent. And I know you have Langoliers. I know you have Contreras coming up. But there's just a ton of moving parts to this, and you're also looking at committing over $50 million to two players. So – uh i'll just pass it to you now
0: (laughs) well and you brought up a lot of different things that i think you have to look at when you think about free agency for the braves and the kind of pieces that they're trying to make fit and of course the backdrop of all of this is that you and i can sit here and talk about this and, and fans can speculate about it all we want from the outside we do not know financially what this winter is going to look like other than i think it's pretty safe to say that It's not going to be just any old winter where clubs are going to be out wheeling, dealing and free spending. That I think is possibly going to be, it could be a very cold, long winter of folks waiting around to find those deals. So I think Mookie Betts taking his big extension when he did while the teams were on hiatus. That was a huge feather in his cap because now he doesn't, not only does he have his great deal, but he doesn't have to worry about what this winter looks like. He didn't have to even dabble in free agency, but you brought up uh, where Ozuna would fall on free agency. And as far as hitters are concerned, obviously JT Romuto's out there. Another big one is George Springer. Uh, Marcus Simeon, I don't think the Braves are going to be looking for a free agent shortstop. DJ LeMayhew has been a very impressive player for the Yankees. DD Gregorius, again, another shortstop. Not sure that's a, a big thing for him. And there's a lot of pitchers on this list. I mean, those are probably the major hitters we're looking at and i'm having a hard time other than andleton simmons you can throw nelson cruz in there but he's 40 and if you're going to be signing a guy to be your full-time dh yeah if you can get cruz and you've got the dh and it's a one-year deal that's i mean i I can't argue with it the guy puts up numbers every year Uh, then you kind of drop down into jock peterson michael brantley if you're looking for an outfielder justin turner's could be a free agent as well you've got tommy listella And then there's a bunch of guys that have either vesting options that I would have to see how these all factor in uh, team options, mutual options, what have you, including Anthony Rizzo. We know the Braves aren't going to be signing another first baseman. Uh, Starling Marte would kind of make a little bit of sense as well uh, on the list of hitters when it comes to that. But those are the offensive players. And this was an article I found on MLB.com from September 3rd of this year so that gives you a little bit of a snapshot of what this free agent class looks like and i think you're right this is not the deepest free agent class in the history of all free agent classes there's an awful lot of pitching so maybe the braves are going to be looking at a couple of acquisitions possibly there in particular and we'll talk about this how they could maybe fortify their rotation i just look at ozuna as a guy that at the very least he's going to command a deal that should be upwards or more than what josh donaldson got from the minnesota twins which i think was five and ninety two and Donaldson's at least four full years older than Marcelo Zuna. But if I was going to give out a five-year, 1000000 dollars contract, I feel a lot more comfortable with giving it to Marcelo Zuna just because of his age. But with the Freddie extension, with the possibility of pursuing free agent pitchers, including perhaps Trevor Bauer, again, that's going to be the big money deal for starting pitching in the winter of 2020. Just not sure where the whole thing's going to fall. So there's a lot of moving parts there. But I think you do have to have a DH rule in place if you're going to spin really big on Marcelo Zuna. Otherwise, you might just want to start kind of reassessing the other options. As great as he was for him, his strength was being able to plug him into the middle of the lineup and we'll just watch him click with Freddie and with Ronald and with Ozzie Albies and the other guys.
1: Yeah, I think when you read off that list, it should be a very nice winter for Ozuna and Springer. Yeah. To put it lightly, those are clear top two guys, assuming uh, Miami, I believe, has a team option on Marte that they're going to pick up. Sure. So, I mean, he would have been kind of a sneaky guy to be like, yeah, this this would make a lot of sense. But those two guys, I would assume that the Astros will try to find a way to get something done with Springer because uh, there's been some talk and rumors about Correa and they might wind up losing him. So maybe they wind up paying Springer instead. You're not going to be able to pay everybody there, but... And there's obviously some questions with him, too. From Ozuna's standpoint, I I mean, he's positioned to be the best free agent hitter this offseason. There's several teams who could go after him, even though we don't know the financial landscape of everything. He's going to have a lot of suitors. And I'm with you. It's tough to just, with, with the uncertainty of the DH. we know it's coming in 2022, we think, but nothing is certain. And when you're paying a guy like that, this team has capable defenders, You know, Adam Duvall had a nice year. It's really just how you want to allocate your resources. And when you're talking about paying a guy like Ozuna to do one thing, that much money, Alex answered a question about Ozuna yesterday. And he, you know, he played coy about it as he always does. He dropped the same line he did with Donaldson about Mm -hmm. wanting to bring him back. And I'm sure that the Braves would love to have Ozuna back, but there's a lot of factors to it that might not make that possible. And to be honest with you, Grant, and I would love your take on this too, I would probably bet against them keeping him um, mm. just because of all the different factors at play. I just have a hard time saying confidently that they would get this done. Now, I think they should, but I also thought that they should try to get something done with Donaldson. I would not have done the deal that the twins did for I agree. him. Right? Yeah. And this year did not go great for that deal. No. And we'll, we'll see in time how that unfolds. So I do think they were right there. And maybe Ozuna winds up getting a similar deal and we come away from it saying, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Just considering, considering the people you're going to have to pay, considering it's very important for them to get something figured out with a DH before free agency starts. I think yeah. that's in the best interest of everybody, but there's just a lot at play here. And again, I, I would like your thoughts on this, but right now, just given what's at hand, I do not feel confident saying that Ozuna will be back.
0: Well, I can't really disagree with that. I would feel like this should at this point be a destination that he's sold on. You know, we were talking about it earlier where, well, all things considered, would have stayed in St. Louis if I'd known it was going to play out the way it did in free agency this winter. I don't blame him for saying that at all. But then he went out and lived this season in a Braves uniform, and I think he liked it quite a bit. But when you talk about a one dimensional player and a club that, for the Braves, especially any of the National League clubs, you're not really accustomed to spending just on a DH just yet. So it may not really make the list the same way that it does for al clubs year in and year out who are already thinking about filling that spot but alex Anthopoulos was a gm of american league club so certainly he knows what he wants to do there and the blue jays under him were some pretty good hitters as well they had some dhs up there some sluggers in general they could move around but i think it has to be a top priority to figure out a way to maintain the offensive firepower of this baseball club but when they think about spending purely from free agency There is not enough money out there for the Atlanta Braves or really any other club to sign Ozuna and Trevor Bauer and pick a reliever or two or another starting pitcher all of a sudden and extend your franchise face in Freddie Freeman if you're in the market to do that this year as well and really forecasting down the line. The Braves have a lot of money coming off the books, but the thing that we don't know the wild card of this and and what I'm sure that fans are going to be sick and tired of hearing by the time we get through this winter is financially what are clubs willing to do? But I cannot overstate that enough that it's going to be impactful when you discover how low revenue was this year. And the Braves are a publicly traded, are owned by a publicly traded company. So they disclose more information than the average club ever will. But as we're seeing layoffs from different clubs around Major League Baseball, of front office staff, support staff, you know, team employees, you have to know that the forecast ain't great when it comes to how big of a dent in revenue 2020 truly was for all of these baseball teams. So to go out and think, all right, time to break out the checkbook and watch all these guys sign, again, it may be a really long winter of waiting to figure out either who's going to blink or what clubs are even going to go out there and make an attempt to spend with the confidence or putting their faith in, hey, we're going to be back to somewhat normal attendance and normal conditions, and we're going to start making that money back next year. So we're just going to go ahead and invest in it. I don't know. I mean, most companies, you know, hope is not a great strategy for a company. And from a business standpoint, as much as I hate to say it and as much as fans will hate to hear it, these clubs are businesses, and they are going to make business decisions that are going to go far and away beyond what we would like to see on the field. We're already used to it to a certain extent, but, Gabe, I really feel like it's going to be so different in 2020, unlike anything we've ever seen.
1: Yeah, and it's if there's a team that's willing to go ahead and spend that team is going to be rewarded. I think so. Because I know that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a pretty heavy baseball consumer. So you've seen a lot about a record number of non-tenders this offseason. Mm-hmm. That feels inevitable. And, you know, a guy like, let's take Mike fulton for example. So a lot of Braves fans roll their eyes at Fulton. And that's he's kind of stale here. But for another team, he's an appealing project player, right? Right. He's a guy who has some talent, who throws hard, who, you know, if we can get him and see what we can do with him. I mean, the way that the Braves fans say that about a lot of players, other fans are going to be saying that about their team. Oh, we can get a hold of Fulty, Let's see what happens. So there's going to be a lot of guys like that out there, um, guys who won't break the bank. And really, this Braves situation, I look at Ozuna. I think they should keep Ozuna. Mm -hmm. That's easy for me to say. It's not my money, and I'm not the GM. So I also thought they should keep Donaldson. And when it comes down to it, I will say I was wrong. Because when you see what unfolded with him in Minnesota and the contract, I would not have done that. And when I saw the contract and we just said it, we agreed, no.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised they didn't make that deal. And when I was doing a lot of the hot stove stuff last year, Uh, with 11 Alive where they put it together as a list of you know sign Josh Donaldson but if you don't sign Josh Donaldson who would you like and the number one guy on my list was Marcelo Zuna and that was not because I have Alex Anthopoulos on speed dial it's just a guy that I liked that I thought was a good fit that I just watched give the Braves fits in the postseason and I just felt like that worked out but I don't have a guy on a list right now I don't don't know what all the non-tenders are but I can't imagine a non-tender is going to be trumpeted as your big off-season acquisition for any club But even on this free agent list, I'm not sure when it comes to signing multiple players that this is really going to be the winter where any club's going to go out there and do that. But I could be wrong. There could be a team that does.
1: There's just so much that goes into this. Again, we could look at the deal that Ozuna gets from the Red Sox and go, you know what? Ultimately, that's not the direction the Braves probably should have gone. And maybe the Braves end up signing a guy like Trevor Bauer, and you can kind of compare. Would you rather have Ozuna on this four-year, X-million-dollar deal? For Trevor Bauer on this one-year deal, and if you saw on Twitter, his agent kind of clarified, we're yeah. out- listening to all deals. all deals. It's all said and done. This one-year deal thing might have just been kind of fun for us to talk about, and mm-hmm. Bauer winds up getting a nice five-year deal from somebody. like That's part of it. I think when you look at this Braves team, I know everyone talks about Bauer. Personally, I feel like if they could keep Ozuna and just add some kind of marginal starter depth to solid – depth instead of maybe spending for that guy. And if they're able to keep Ozuna and add some other starters, we'll have quite a few weeks to talk about all this. Yeah. But I do think that it would probably be better for them to just go ahead and, and, you know, if they can keep Ozuna and add some other average level starter or two or so, instead of paying for Trevor Bauer and losing a guy like Ozuna, because the biggest thing to me about if you let Ozuna go, you got really lucky in having Ozuna replace Donaldson. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can get that lucky again. So when yeah. you lose a guy like that and you had a Donaldson replacement in house, whereas you don't necessarily really have a cleanup hitter in house that right. or or a guy, excuse me, a third hitter, who you can go ahead and just plug into Ozuna's spot. So definitely when, when you're looking at if you wind up letting him go, if the contract becomes too much, if you spend the money on Bauer or somebody else, you you have to look a lot at, you know, who can we get that can replace A chunk of this production
0: yeah you definitely do I mean there has to be a plan and these moves when we judge this offseason it's going to be done in tandem or in the series of moves that they make or don't make in terms of whether the club gets better or takes a step back in a particular area or you do give that opportunity as you mentioned to somebody who's in-house and you have young starters that are in-house that you would hope will be able to step into this rotation and in fact you know Greco was asking is there a chance we get Trevor Bauer sure there's a chance do I find it to be the high likelihood that Atlanta's the place that lands him? No, I can't say that. But I also can't say that I rule it out. But a lot of it's going to depend on their pursuit of Marcelo Zuna in terms of the big money that they might spend in free agency. Aaron Lee asks, even with the possible return of Mike Soroka to open the season, what other decisions need to be made in the starting rotation? And I'll say this, and I'll, I'll echo your sentiment, but I'll actually, you know, upgrade it a tick. They need to get some proven quality arm or arms in that rotation where they don't have to come in with three question marks behind Mike Soroka and Max Fried and maybe Ian Anderson over a full season even that is a question mark it's just a smaller one and has some uh, experience behind it but he's still going to qualify as a rookie next year so if you have a rookie in your rotation that's great if you have maybe two rookies in your rotation well I guess that's okay depending on who they are but I think you've got to have at least one more proven starter in the rotation and it may not be go out and sign the biggest name on the board, Trevor Bauer. just may not be. Uh, Grant Reynolds asks, best guess, what does the Braves rotation look like on opening day? And my answer to that is going to be a very boring one, and I think yours might be somewhat the same. It's just too difficult to tell right now, and I think that some of their other moves are going to decide how they address it and whether or not, say, a Trevor Bauer is a big target or whether or not they make a trade, which I think is completely possible, or if they sign some of the lesser-known starter's out there or even relievers out there just to help out the overall staff and make those moves and kind of spread their money around and don't spend big on one single free agent, because I think that's on the table as well. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, just what you said, I would go ahead and pencil in obviously freedom Anderson. Right. Okay. So that's two of your five. Soroka will factor in soon enough. Is he ready for opening day? We don't know. They're not going to push him regardless. But he'll factor in, I assume, by May. So you have him kind of in there, too. Kyle Wright, barring something changing, I understand what happened in the playoffs, yeah. but you can't let that cloud the entire I agree. progress that he made. And then, you know, you look at guys like Bryce Wilson, I mean, even a guy like a Noah, I mean, I know people are going to roll their eyes like, God, we don't want that guy to be in our rotation to open next year. And I don't blame you. And I'm not saying he will be, but there are some intriguing guys here that you can look at. Ultimately, I think that you obviously can't bank on Kyle, Wright. You don't know. You're encouraged by what you saw for the end until that last start, but, who knows? You know, that's yeah. really just kind of a wild card. It is. But if you have Soroka, if you you know, Soroka comes back, you have Soroka freed Anderson, you feel pretty good you're starting with that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you do. I mean that's
1: pretty damn good. So you're starting with that and I I agree with you in that I wouldn't be surprised to see a trade. Maybe this farm system is not what it was. Now you have guys graduating, you've moved off some guys, but you definitely have the numbers to go ahead and acquire some guys.
0: And maybe the trade is where you find somebody who's under control for a few years at a more palatable level or arbitration eligible. I think along the lines of say a Marco Gonzalez out in Seattle, that might be an arm that they would be willing to move. I I don't know what the status will be of, you know, some of the non-tenders that come along or just some of the, maybe there is a salary that a team just wants to move off of based on their financial hardship. I think that's to me is is more of the question than just saying, Oh, well, they're going to go, the very top of the penthouse or they're going to be kind of down in the basement of the place trying to figure out what retread they can put into the rotation they may try out a couple retreads i think we've seen that but i think that the true answer may be on one of the middle floors of that high rise rather than the top or the bottom and i think if alex Anthopoulos has his way he'd want to find somebody who's getting on a certain floor and maybe is able to take their game up quite a few more to continue this analogy of the elevator, which the Braves are hoping that elevator leads all the way to the top in the playoffs next year as well. So just kind of putting a bow on all yeah. that because I don't want us to get lost in the the many, 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 many directions that free agent spending and trades could go. Uh, a couple of other ones. We'll just go real quick on this. Robbie Prince wanted to know, do you think the Braves will go with Drew Waters in left field or will they go with Adam Duvall or pursue some other option in the outfield? Of course, I think that hinges on Marcelo Zuna as well when it comes to the DH and how that might fit in. But uh, I know Michael McKenna was asking, is Duvall still under contract? And yes, they still have arbitration control over him as well for 2021. What do you think about Drew Waters though? Is he a guy that we can count on seeing in 2021 at some time, or do you think we could see him sooner than later? I
1: think we'll see him sooner than later. Uh, he's a talented guy. I know that people are kind of all over the board with, with kind of projections on what he can become, but yeah. And you know, you're talking about too, when we talk about trades and, He's kind of he's expendable to an extent. Um, if you're talking about getting one of these kind of better guys, they get a lot of calls on him this off season, right? Yeah. So he's an interesting guy. Definitely, uh, he could factor in the left field thing. Is it depends on open. Marcelo Zuna?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's completely wide open. But if, if it's a matter of is he going to start, you know, opening day? No, I don't think so. But assuming that he's still with this organization, and I ultimately I think he will be, he'll be a guy who eventually factors in, and we'll see. Because, again, there was a lot with guys like Ian Anderson, Pache, Austin Riley. These guys have come up, and they've produced immediately, and they've made a difference for this team. So that's not to say every prospect can do that. But Drew Waters could be a guy who ultimately factors in, and I, I think now he's the number one guy that Bryce fans are going to be really curious about seeing.
0: Yeah, and with Christian Pache graduating from Atlanta's top prospect list, presumably next year completely, as he you know, becomes Atlanta's regular center fielder, I think, then position player-wise, your number one prospect becomes Drew Waters on that side, and, and you can go through the list of, of what's in there in terms of what the actual top 25 looks like, that kind of thing, but... We'll save that for another time. But Drew Waters is going to be at or near the top of the Braves prospect list next year and at the top of the list of assets that other teams will be calling about if there are to be some trades that happen this winter, and I think there could be, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be the guy that's heading out of town. Either way, let's wrap things up. Taylor Wishman asked us quite a few questions. Uh, We'll go with this one because some of the others kind of overlapped, but how do you see the catcher situation working out next year? Two vets under contract, two rookies that deserve a shot. Do you see any chance at least one of those four gets sent somewhere else? Well, that was the question, but the answer to this is actually the guy under contract for next year from a veteran's perspective is Travis Darnot. He has signed a two-year deal, Tyler Flowers, a free agent, and then I'm assuming we're talking about, I guess, Alex Jackson and William Contreras, though maybe you can throw Shea Langoliers in there, but I'd be surprised. Uh, Regardless, I think William Contreras has shown enough that I would be comfortable moving into next year with Travis Darno and William Contreras as the Braves catchers. Where do you weigh in on that and how do you think that's going to play?
1: Yeah, I think that's it. Honestly, I'd be kind of surprised if they went another direction. It just seems to make yeah. the most sense. You let Darno do kind of the heavy lifting and you have the young guy behind him. And we saw Contreras just a little bit, but yeah. I was impressed. Again, super small sample size, mm-hmm. but pretty impressed with him. And the organization seems to like the way that he's trending. So. We'll see about Langoliers and where he factors in. He's a guy who wouldn't, I assume, would not be up until I late next so. season, if that. So, I mean, I wouldn't really factor him into next season's discussion. So the easiest thing here would be, you know, to thank Tyler Flowers for his work. I mean, he was here a long time, and he he did a lot of good things for this organization. And then just roll with the young guy behind Darno. It seems like, Darno and Contreras is actually uh, one of baseball's more uh, interesting and intriguing and certainly one of the highest upside combos in the sport.
0: At the very least, if you're looking at just ways to remain competitive back there and to start breaking in a guy who could very much factor into your catcher of the future equation, William Contreras, I think, showed enough to get excited about that. And that's whenever we see Shay Galiers at some point, you know, we can figure out what he becomes as hopefully we get an idea of what minor league baseball looks like in 2021 as well, which is an entirely different discussion that we'll have at an entirely different time but thank you all for your questions hopefully that helped you know spur on some discussion, some thought about what the winter is going to look like but as you may have gathered from all of this there's a lot of pieces on the board for all 30 teams and we just don't know the rate at which those pieces are going to move around based on a lot of the uncertainty that we're going to see throughout the winter in free agent spending and, and other things that uh, affect the business of the sport but I think we've reached the end of our time here and all the discussions that we've had, both about the Braves playoff run and what the winter may look like for the Braves and what 2021 may look like for the club as well. Gabe, it was a weird year. It was a long year, but a short one at that. But I think one that we'll look back on and, and think fondly on as far as, you know, what the Braves were able to accomplish in 2020, not the end they wanted far from it. But I think this was a Braves club that has set itself up to take some steps and hopefully they get about the business of just making this club better over the winter and we're able to you know see what they can become in 2021 but before we even get there we'll have all winter to talk about it so i'm looking forward to that and i appreciate all your time this season it's been great talking about brace baseball with you
1: absolutely it was fun it didn't in the way they wanted it to but you know it was the most successful Braves season in two decades so now they're Instead of talking about having to go forward winning a playoff series, they can talk about how they can get over that final hump to the World Series. So looking forward to talking to you about that this offseason.
0: Absolutely. I like the sound of that. We'll see what the Braves are able to do this winter, and of course we'll be here to talk about it with you throughout the hot stove season as well. He's Gabe Burns. You can follow his work on Twitter at Burns AJC. He, of course, covers the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and it's been nice enough to carve out a lot of time here on From the Diamond this season. So looking forward to talking with him again very soon. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. Be sure to share the show with a friend. On social media, you can find the show on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show on Instagram at FromTheDiamond. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well in every episode of the show and so much more. When we come to hot stove discussions, you can find it all at FromTheDiamond.com. So my thanks again to you. So my thanks again to Gabe Burns of the AJC for making all the time that he has both in this episode and all season long, and to you for making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. But that'll do it for this show, and unfortunately for Braves' season as well, ended about a week earlier than we thought it would, but we'll have plenty of hot stove coverage and discussion for you as the weeks roll on, and we put a bow on the year 2020 as well and start looking ahead to the future and the next season of Braves baseball. But thank you again for making time to listen to the show. For Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone.